everybody. I'm Paul Gobel. Welcome to Hey Watch This. I'm David Max, also welcoming you to Hey Watch This. I switched it up. Because David... What do you mean by you tried to box me out is what you did? Is that what I tried to do? Uh-huh. Why? Because instead I made it Hey Watch This with Paul Gobel no, I'm saying, featuring David Back. You say your name and then there's a spot for me to say right? my name. So I go, hey everybody, welcome to Hey Watch This. I'm Paul Gobel. And then I say I'm David Bax, but you just skipped past that. Well, I, I don't know that I skipped past it. Well, you did and you didn't. <laughs> well, because it's not that I leave you a spot to say it. I'm just done talking. <laughs> when I say, hey everybody, welcome to Hey Watch This. I'm Paul Gobel. <clears throat> but you just use that, that. Oh, that's how it goes? Okay. You use that opportunity to say your name too, which I, I think I is nice. You were, I thought you were opening things I'm up. I'm sure there's people who listen for you as well. So One or two. Uh, big news. Letting everybody know now that it is official. I'm going to be on At Midnight a week from Tuesday. Tuesday night. Yeah. It'll be Tuesday night. If I'm not celebrating, it's because I've known this for yeah. a month or more It's going to be me, Greg Barrett, and Maria Bamford. So it should be a very funny show. Maria Bamford, Ellie Weekly uh, cover uh, gal. This yeah. Week. Well, she's got her no, her uh, her new series coming out on Netflix. It's supposed to be very, Dyn- very Lady funny. Dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be very very funny. So that's what she's there promoting. Also starring Fred Melamed. That's right. Who was recently on Battleship Retention. Um, he was just on New Girl. He was hilarious. But no, that's a, that's very exciting. So we're talking about the seventeenth. I think so. Yeah. May the seventeenth. The seventeenth yes. of May. May the seventeenth be with you. Uh, that's a week from this Tuesday. International uh, Paul Goble on at midnight. That's day. right. It's very exciting. I so here's to so, watch it. so here's what all my friends and fans need to do: watch the show, even if you don't watch the show. But you should watch the show. You can watch it on your TV. You can watch it on Hulu. You can watch it on ComedyCentral.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there's an app where it's available. Watch it at a friend's house. You watch it at a friend's house. There will be. You know, you can follow uh, at midnight on Twitter, and there'll be tons of clips and gifs and whatever. But then follow it up, even if you don't watch it. Do the follow up and tweet or write to Comedy Central and say, "Man, Paul Goebel was hilarious. Uh-huh. Have him on more. I've never seen him on before, and he was great. Hey, wasn't that the guy from Beat the Geeks? He was great. Good to see him back on TV. Because I want to do that show as much as I can." So that's your assignment. Uh, and thanks for everybody who supported to get me on there. And thanks, Chris Hardwick. Because that's what happened. I just tweeted, hey, everybody, tell Chris Hardwick to put me on at midnight. <laughs> and then he went, all right, all right. And so he did. Um, so that's big news. And that's uh, awesome. And uh, I, I couldn't have done it without the support of fans uh, of this show who convinced me I'm funny. So that's good. Do you have any big news? Do I have any big news? No. Anything that big? No, nothing that no? big. No? All right, no. good. Um, so I watched some shows this week. I watched Houdini and Doyle. Okay. Which is brand new. Have you heard, even heard of this show? I've heard of it, yeah, but I have not watched it. What do you think the premise is? It's uh, Harry Houdini. Right. And a guy or gal named Doyle. <laughs> and they... Uh, I'm going to say they're, they debunk mysteries like Mythbusters style, but it's fiction. Okay. So it's a fictionalized... So it's uh, like like the X-Files, but Harry Houdini instead of Mulder? Yeah. Yeah, but no. Harry Houdini instead of Scully. He's instead of Scully. Right. And then he has a partner. 
Yeah, except in X Files, it turns out there is supernatural stuff. The point of Houdini Doyle is that there isn't. Isn't. And every episode they disprove a ghost or something like that. So you're saying it's the it's the actual Harry Houdini, the historical Harry Houdini yes. in the show. Yes. So it takes place in Victorian times. Uh, yeah, whenever he was around. All right. Well, you're very close because it is obviously about Harry Houdini, but the Doyle is Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh. The guy who invented yeah. Sherlock Holmes. So it's based on two real people who lived in Victorian England at the same time. I don't know that they were friends in real life. But Arthur Conan Doyle, who of course wrote these Sherlock stories, and the first episode starts with him pissed off that his editor released a new Sherlock Holmes book after he had already killed him off, which really happened. There's a the novel where he kills off Sherlock Holmes and then falls off a cliff. And then there's the next book. He's back to life again. Didn't really die. Who's but, a, who wrote the next book? He did. But he, it was an older story that he didn't want released. But his publisher said, fuck that. I'm going to release this book because everybody wants a new Sherlock Holmes book. So he did. And, and I don't know if this really happened, but on the show, Doyle was like, what the fuck did you do? I got, a, I got better stories. He was writing a book about the war, nonfiction. So that was part of it. That was kind of cool. And then he's interested in like supernatural and uh, talking to the dead or whatever because his wife is in like a vegetative state and he has kids and he wants to communicate with her. So he figures there has to be some way I can get through to her through a medium or whatever. Harry Houdini, of course, famously uh, does, uh, doesn't believe in anything. He doesn't believe yeah, in... Yeah, that was his thing. Yeah. yeah. And any deal like that, and he and he basically is there to debunk it because he's a magician. But the great thing about it is, if you know anything about Harry Houdini, you knew he was obsessed with his mother. He had huge mother issues. Really, if you know anything about Harry Houdini, that's what you know. Well, not that he died from getting punched in the stomach. I guess, like, I feel like that's. The... I know he's a magician. I'm saying, if you know, I guess, if you know, if you're, a, if you know more about Harry Houdini than the average person. Okay, one of the things you would know. One of the things but... you would know is he. Was obsessed with his mom. He had a huge Oedipus complex. He loved her. He doted on her. He gave her everything. And then when she died, he was obsessed with contacting her in the in the spirit world or whatever. So he would. So that was part of the reason he would go to all these mediums because yeah. he really wanted to talk to his mom. But of course, he was a magician and he was smart and he fucking debunked them over and over again. Yeah. So in this first episode, it's really it's written really well because. You see that. You see how he's in love with his mom and you know how that's going to go. Here's the problem. The execution of all this, terrible. Okay. The dude who plays Harry Houdini is a guy named Michael Weston, who you will recognize if you see his face. He's not good. He's completely miscast. The guy playing Arthur Conan Doyle is that English guy who plays Sean on episodes, plays the English guy in episodes. Okay. You ever watched episodes? I think I've seen it before. Yeah, he's the one English guy, okay. the writer. And uh, and he's not too good, and it's just and it's like you watch this and think, oh, they wanted to do something like Sherlock, but you know they obviously just changed it to be different from Sherlock. But I, I don't know anyone who else who watched it, but I thought this is a great idea and a horrible execution. Is a perfect example of someone who went, I have a great idea for a TV show, and then someone else ruined it. So, don't watch it. It's no good. I also watched, though, the first episode of the new Danger Mouse on Netflix. Did you ever watch Danger Mouse when you were a kid? I feel like when I was a real little kid. Because it was on Nickelodeon in the early days. Okay. When they just showed 
you know, cartoons from other countries. But I loved it. But it's just a cartoon. I also watched the Pee Wee movie. Finally got around to watching Pee Wee's Big Holiday. Yeah. That half of that movie is great. The other half, I'm not going to say it's a waste of time, but you can fast forward it. Okay. Because it's basically vignettes, much like the first movie, with him headed to Joe Manganiello's birthday party. He's leaving Fairview, wherever that is, and going to New York for the birthday party. That's the premise of the movie. Mm-hmm. So th- along the way, he meets people. And one, uh, one guy he meets, they go to a snake farm. The whole thing is very funny. At one point, he meets this farmer and his nine daughters, who all seem to be the same age. Uh, <laughs> even though that he has nine daughters. And then they all want to have sex with Pee-wee and marry him. But the whole sequence is just dumb. Just like, where's the jokes? And it's uncomfortable. But then the sequence after that, he goes to this Amish community. And he's like, so what do you guys do for fun? And they go, uh, work? <laughs> Why? What do you do for fun? <laughs> and he goes, well, and he pulls out this balloon and he blows it up. And then he goes, you know, holds it open so it makes tweet noise uh-huh. for two minutes straight. <laughs> it's the greatest fucking thing. And it goes, wee, whoa, wee, wee, wee. And it forced Pee-wee's making faces the whole fucking time. <laughs> and I will say, if you are a fan of Pee-wee Ehrman, you have to watch it just for that scene. Because it is really the like the quintessential what made Pee-wee Ehrman funny in the uh-huh. first place. It's that it's weird how the movie can be so uneven. I'll say this. I know who wrote the script, and I don't want to be a dick, but what the fuck? How hard was it to write the script for this movie? They had a two-minute scene of him going, <laughs> and that's a hilarious idea, but I'm saying half the script is fucking bullshit, is nonsense. This could have been broken up into three like episodes of Pee-wee's Playhouse, and one of them would have been horrible. So, that's my review of that movie that came out a million years ago that okay. I, I finally watched. You see or do any... Did you see Civil War? No. Me neither. Not yet. I will. But I haven't yet. Okay. Did you see anything? Uh, I, I, saw, I saw a few things. Um, I saw Sing Street, the new movie from the guy who made Once. It's great. Oh, is it? It's really good. Okay. Worth seeing. Worth, worth, worth now, the favor for. Because his I, last one, Begin Again, with Mark Ruffalo and Keira Knightley. Right. Yeesh. And Avoid. Wow. That's because it. Do you think it was his idea to cast Maroon Five in it? I don't know. I don't know. I hope not, because I'm sure that's what made the movie. One of the things that made it terrible, having to watch Maroon Five pretend to be an actor. <laughs> um, but no, the, the movie I want to tell you about. I went to so on Battleship Pretension a while back. We had a uh, sponsor. A guy uh, wanted to promote his Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. He, so he paid us to talk about his Kickstarter. Right. He was trying to get together this movie that he was making called. Uh, I was a teenage were skunk. <laughs> okay. so, so it's a parody of those fifties like teen horror you know, sure. movies. And the movie got made, and he uh, I guess forewalled the Vista Theater uh, this past Tuesday and went nice. to the Vista and watched this movie. And oh man, it is funny. Really? I was really. I mean, like, nice. I know as I said on Battleship Pretension, like the fact that he's a Battleship Pretension fan means this guy has good taste. And um, <laughs> so I, I I didn't expect it to be a train wreck. But it is, it's a really, really goofy and smart, uh, Good. funny comedy. And that um, I, I don't know when uh, you'll be able to see it. Maybe someday it'll be on iTunes or uh, he didn't talk about that at get all. Some distribution. Uh, no, he he, he intro the movie beforehand. Uh, but um, 
Definitely Google I was a teenage wear skunk and find out <laughs> what you can do to see it because I really recommend people see this. Okay, good. Uh, although I, I'm I'm curious to see actually if you would like it because the movie it reminds me of in many ways is Wet Out American Summer, which is a movie that you don't like. No, I don't. But this idea that it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a parody of a very specific genre, right? But it also goes off in all other sorts of crazy directions that don't necessarily make any sense, while still being that parody. Well, if it's funny, it's funny. I've always said that. And sometimes, even when it's funny, eh, I just don't find it funny. So Yeah. Uh, there's but, here, uh, I'll tell you, if you think, it. let me tell you, this is funny. There's a part where the uh, sheriff gets a phone call that two kids are missing. Mm-hmm. And we know they've been killed by the were-skunk. He doesn't know that yet. All right. And uh, his, his, his wife is serving up breakfast, serving up pancakes, and he's like... They probably just fell asleep at the drive-in. I've seen it a hundred times. And she's like, okay. And keeps serving the pancakes. And he goes, no, 97. Sorry, I've seen it 97 times. And she's like, well, that's almost a hundred. And he goes, it'll be a hundred by the end of the year. (laughs) All right. That's very funny to me. Yeah, I agree. That's the kind of humor, plus some great visual humor. I I want people to check out I Was a Teenage Wear Skunk if they get the chance. Well, it's nice of you to tell us about this great movie that we can't see. Well, this is what I'm using my bully pulpit here to try and get more interest in it. Well, maybe when there's a place we can see it, you could maybe tweet saying, out. by talking about it, yeah. I'm hoping that there will be a, more of a place that we can see You're it. saying like all the people who listen to this show and Battleship Pretension are going to demand it? That's and exactly right. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, I will definitely follow up if it becomes available. All right. Now, let me ask you about... Uh, once what's it called Sing Street Sing Street now I heard a friend of mine was complaining about they were mad about the premise of this movie that the kid wants to impress a girl Uh so he starts a band right and she was like this is fictionalized Hollywood bullshit like it's tame but it's part of the problem in the terms of you know women in movies or whatever this girl in this movie just by the premise before the movie even starts she's a prize you know what I'm saying? It's a little sexist. Now, I, I, I have no opinion on this at all. But as a guy who saw the movie, did that even occur to you? Even uh, once? No, it definitely, I mean, it definitely follows that sort of trope. It's about, it's about the boy. Mm-hmm. So it's true that, yes, the movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Okay. And um, if not passing the Bechdel test makes a movie sexist, which I don't think... It's that simple. No. Um, then I guess it is. But I don't... I think the movie is not... Is I don't think the movie is sexist, but I do think it is focused on its male character, and that's that's what it is. And I don't think... I think, in the macro sense, culturally, yeah. it is a problem that there are so many movies that, uh, that treat um, uh, women that way. But it doesn't mean each individual one of those movies is bad because of it. True. So, I think... I think we can be aware of and even address the larger problem mm-hmm. without forsaking the fact that this is a good movie that happens to fall in line with some unfortunate okay. uh, standards. And it's foreign, right? It's English? It's Irish. Irish, okay. And it takes place in Ireland? Yeah. In like a small town, I assume? Um, maybe not a... Uh, maybe not Dublin? But uh, it uh, might even be. I, I don't even remember. Is it like in a in the country? No, or? it's a it's a city. Oh, okay. And it's also children. Yes, underage it's people in teenagers, the movie. Teenagers. Yes. So yeah. High so school, I guess. So that uh, I mean, I get the point that you know this shit doesn't really happen. It's a fairy tale, 
And it's a uh, and there's too many movies well, I, like that. I don't think teenage boys starting a band to impress girls is a fairy tale. I think it's kind of why there is rock and roll. Yes, but to to couch it in such a simple story like this does that that entire idea a disservice. I mean, if if that's the case, then you should be telling a story about rock and roll, not about mm-hmm. a guy trying to woo a girl, because there are a gazillion better ways to do that, like being nice, asking her out on a date, <laughs> showing that you respect women, uh, being kind to animals. You know, in, in real life, women will never stop naming things that impress them before they get to started a band, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think we can agree on that. So, uh, I, so I think my friend has a point. But also, on the other hand, no, I don't. Yeah, I, I definitely think your friend has a point. But I also think, from a because it's a smaller movie about a specific group of people in a specific place at a specific time in their lives, I think it's it's. I I, I will say not that anyone's asking me, but I would say give it a pass because it's like it's like in the eighties when there were so many movies about. Guys trying to get a girl, mm-hmm. right? Those are you look back on them now. They're all sexist from beginning to end. The pickup artist, uh, all those shitty eighties movies. The last movie. American Virgin. Oh my god, that movie's just a piece of shit from beginning <laughs> to end. But some of these movies are like some kind of wonderful. That movie sure. people remember fondly, but it is sexist. Right, the sure thing. Oh, and that's one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. I so? love that movie. I fucking watch it and laugh. But you're right, yeah, it's 100% sexist, so it's not as bad as, like, in the 80s when we thought it was okay. So, uh, yeah, it's sexist, but I guess you're... I heard, like, Civil War, there is a conversation at the very beginning between two women, and it's not about a dude. It does pass the Bechdel test briefly at the beginning, and then not for the rest of the movie. But that also makes sense when you have an enormous cast and 90% of them are dudes, right? Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's obviously uh, an issue uh, as well. Yeah. But in, in general, I think that it's good to have, like I said before, to be keeping an eye on both things, both yeah. larger trends that are troubling, and the fact that an individual movie can still be a really good movie right? Uh, while falling into some of those trends. Yeah. I, I think I talked about this before, but on last Halloween, was it last? no, it was the Halloween before, this kid came trick-or-treating. And he was in a baseball uniform and in blackface. And he was like junior high age. He wasn't a little kid Mm -hmm. and he certainly wasn't an adult. And I would say he probably wasn't old enough to know better. But he also, it was number 52. I think that's who it was. But regardless, he was Jackie... uh, 42. 42. Jackie Robinson. He was Jackie Robinson. So he wasn't just a black baseball player. He wasn't Sammy Sosa or... Uh, the Big Hurt or someone like that. He was the most important black baseball player in the history of the world. Yeah. So that's... So I think, oh, okay. It's not like you're putting on black... I mean, you are putting on blackface, but also you're being a specific guy. It reminded me, honestly, of that Louis C.K. episode. Yeah, where his, when his daughter's Frederick Douglass. Right, yeah. because she had blackface on. It was yeah. certainly light, but it was... Because Frederick Douglass was a very light-skinned black man. But I, I, you know, I think, well, first of all... Uh, I'm going to give a kid under 18 a pass on blackface, but I would hope an adult said something to him, right? Yeah, that's that's where I... An adult, like if it was my kid, I would say, I get what you're doing here, 
I personally would not wear the black face, and I'm going to suggest you don't. But I think people will give you a pass, so you're not going to cause trouble. But you might get some dirty looks, and I would probably give you one if I didn't know you. That, yeah. That's what I would say if it was my kid. But also, you as the parent might get some dirty looks. <laughs> well, he was by himself. Yeah, that was the other thing. He was him and but friends. But if you knew who this kid's parents were, would you be like, what is up with them? Um, it depends. That That's the other thing. Maybe like if I knew them, I'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. That kid's parents do this shit all the time. Because <laughs> that's honestly what happens when you know parents. You're like, oh, yeah, these fucking parents. They think it's no problem. Because that, honestly, I think that was what happened. This kid, this was back when we lived in Burbank. This is a kid who probably went to private school in Burbank, born and raised. His parents are white people from Burbank. And they went, yeah, he's Jackie Robinson. The term <laughs> blackface didn't even occur to them, you know. I'm sure he's just, oh, he's Jackie Robinson. And here's my daughter. She wants to dress up like Mulan. So let's give her some yellow face. And this guy is, uh, you know, Pocahontas. He's dressed like a woman and a Native American. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) But I always wonder about shit like that, especially with kids. Because it's like, well, I don't know that you're old enough to know better, but you definitely... An, an adult in your life is old enough to know better, but at the same time, you're Jackie Robinson. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Because that was the, I'll get, I tell you, it was the only Jackie Robinson costume I saw all <laughs> night. And it was a great costume. That's the other thing. It was a great costume. I wanted to give the kid credit. But no one, no one really seemed to give a fuck. And I guess if you're in Burbank doing that and you're 13, sure. Is that really a big deal? That's the eternal question. If a kid wears blackface in Burbank. <laughs> Did he ever really wear black? Did anybody, was anybody really offended? Uh, All right, you want to talk about these TV shows? Let's do it. All right, so I imagine you watching this premiere of Person of Interest had to be a lot like when Jim watched Lost on the old Paul Goebel show. You've never seen an episode before. Yeah, it kind of did have that. And it dropped you right into the fucking middle of it. Yeah, I did kind of feel like as it's going, I'm like realizing things that I probably should have. That they, they, obviously the the viewer that this is the they know it's their last season. Right. They're not trying to court new viewers at this point, so there's right. no attempt at it's all. It's all wrap up. Yeah. yeah. So the fact, like, uh, I mean, it's three almost. It's it's almost three quarters of the way through the episode before Jim Caviezel goes to the police station, which is his job. At this which point. I didn't realize up until that, I thought he was some sort of like yeah. super agent or something because it starts with him like. Being a uh, badass. Yeah, and so and then like 40 minutes into the episode, he goes and someone calls him detective. And I'm like, oh. I- <laughs> but even that, even that is, there's a whole backstory on it that you don't know about. Because he didn't become a detective. He's not a real detective. He just is in name only. He didn't become, like that one guy, Fusco, who's his partner. Yeah, yeah, from, um, uh, he was on that show Brotherhood, right? The Showtime? Uh, oh, I think so. He was also on Rescue Me. Um, yes, yes. He is a real cop. And in the first episode, he's clearly a dirty cop. And Caviezel comes in and strong arms him and blackmails and says, now you work for me, doing good things. And he's like, why me? He goes, because a dirty cop has more to hide. So he becomes a de facto good guy. His partner is um, Taraji P. Henson, who Once. used to be on the show. Right. Yeah. And she eventually gets murdered. So, that, so, But she's a good guy. So that dynamic already is brilliant. because he's But he's got a kid. He wants to be good. Because there's also uh, this, in, this thing called, what did they call it? They, they called it control or something, whatever. But it was basically uh, a organization within the NYPD of of crime. It was like a organized crime 
organized crime family made up of cops and detectives and whatever. And they controlled all the cops in the city. And he was part of it. So it was almost like he was undercover. So there's all that. But then eventually Trajipi Henson, of course, is killed. And they need to redo some stuff. So they type in the computer. And now you're a detective. You're his partner. But that's really just a cover. He doesn't ever... The only work he ever does is for their project. Right. He doesn't ever do any real detective work. So... And then the other thing that's was... That's funny. Amy Actor's character, the whole time, I'm like, is she a hacker? Is she an assassin? I think she might kind of be both. Yeah. Maybe? I still don't entirely know Because again, when her character is introduced, she's a total villain. She comes in and is trying to take over this machine that they're constantly talking about. But she like says, I want to set it free. and Because it, it has clearly... Uh, at you know, one of the big deals of the show is fi- uh, the 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 machine is becoming smart and almost it comes very close to becoming self aware. And as you saw, he had to reboot it every night so it wouldn't do that. Right. And Amy Acker eventually shows up and says, "No, you need to let it go. It's better than people. It needs to be in charge of us." And Finch is like, "No, no, that can't happen." Eventually, they come to the same side, and now they're both on the same side because the bad, the real bad guys have built another machine. Okay. And that's who they're trying to stop. And the other, it's basically now there's two machines. You got the big machine that now is working for the government. The government contracted it. And it's doing what the other machine did, watching everybody and, you know, controlling all the computers and all the machines. And then you have the little good machine, which you saw was eventually in that suitcase, that wants to do good things. But it also has a moral compass Mm -hmm. and so sometimes it chooses not to do things and it's really fucking interesting what i found funny about this is the last episode from the last season was a lot like the last episode of angel Uh they're all like in this bunker and they're kind of pinned in and they basically all go let's do it and they run outside to fight and that's it episode over and i'm (laughs) sure at the time they thought well this is probably our last episode but they gave him this thing. But it was a lot like Angel where it's the end of the world. So that's why shit was so crazy in this episode. Because it took, yeah. like you said, it took him 45 minutes to wrap that shit up. Yeah. And then start a new. And, yeah. I, I, I could tell they'd been through something. Because not one but two characters had blood trickling out of their sleeves under their hands. Already. <laughs> that was a weird, like, yeah. signifier that both Jim Caviezel and Amy Acker had the same... Apparently we're wounded in the same place where there's blood trickling out of Yeah, and, al- and also when like when they're getting on the boat, when he wants to get Finch on the boat. Uh, I don't know what that was about. He, well, the, part of the reason Finch walks the way he does is because uh, the government blew up this ferry because they were trying to kill him. Uh-huh. And they instead killed his partner, who you saw was uh, the dude also from Lost. They showed him in flashbacks, his best mm-hmm. friend and partner. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I don't. He was uh, who he was in Lost. He was somebody's. He was one of the other's real husband who got who eventually. Was oh killed. yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Brett Cullen. Right, that's what he it, was. Um, Juliet God, uh, Godwin. Godwin, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was he was basically the face of this thing, whereas Finch was the guy doing everything. Brett Cullen was supposedly the inventor, the real guy. And eventually they wanted to take it, so they killed him, and he was hurt. Finch was hurt in the accident, so that's why he's afraid of boats. And it was because of his inaction, because of of what Finch refused to do, the government then killed his best friend. So he's guilty about that the the whole time. So this fucking show has a ton of baggage and backstory. Yeah, and I... So I... It's... 
it feels weird for me to talk about because I don't know anything. Yeah. But I will say, just as an hour of television, it was uh, really exciting and propulsive. Like, oh, there was good. a lot of action in it. It kept uh, moving forward. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what the stakes are, but there are <laughs> stakes here. Uh, and uh, Yeah. Here's one thing about the show that I've always found funny is this this computer, the machine, as they call it, is a character, is like a full-on character on the show. And it interacts. And there's even scenes where they're having conversations. Like, he'll, they'll be walking down the street, and they'll look up at a camera and say, you need to do something. In fact, what they didn't show here was that eventually in the run of the show, Root, Amy, uh, Amy Acker's character, gets a cochlear implant. So she can communicate directly to the machine, it basically in like beeps and pulses. Huh. Uh, it's because uh, it's like earlier she was being tortured by Cameron Mannheim in this one scene, uh-huh. who was a bad guy for the government, and she's uh, she's torturing her, or whatever. And the whole time she's like, "Well, listen, I've been talking to the machine this whole time. It's been communicating with me through your phone in pulses that are too high for you to hear, and so I'm leaving." And she gets up and she bails. And then uh, she catches her again and Cameron Manheim sticks a fucking letter opener in her ear so she can't hear it. So she cuts her off from the machine. Uh But then Amy Acker then later on gets a cochlear implant to fix all that. So she communicates directly to it, has full-on conversations. And, like, there's scenes in the last season where they're going through places and the machine is telling them three o'clock, and she's like, "Bang, bang, bang!" Two o'clock, "Bang, bang, bang!" She knows where everybody is, mm-hmm. and it's like they're part of the fucking team, and it's really well done because the, the machine doesn't ever actually talk. Right. You know it's communicating to her, and you see things it says, but it's really done really well, and especially if you watch from the beginning, because it seems kind of did it seem a little dated to you, the like talking to the machine and. Stuff like that. I like, don't. I don't. I don't have a point of reference. I'm saying for real life, like the way that we see like high tech shit in the Avengers and stuff like that. Did this seem? Oh, a I see little, what you mean because it wasn't like interactive screen. It wasn't like yeah, no holograms. Not you know, they, <laughs> no one's looking at their phone and doing amazing things out of right, their phone. Right. You know, in fact, uh, they communicate a lot of times. He doesn't even pull out his phone. His phone will ring, and Caviezel just touches his ear and goes, "Hello, Harold," uh-huh. and they don't even. They just talk when they're talking to each other. And it's one of the cool things. There'll be four or five of them, different parts of the city. And they're having a conversation. And they're looking at them like a camera because they're including the machine <laughs> in it. Is it actually shot in New York? Yes. That's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, it looked like it. About the show that's great is the whole premise of this show was built on 9-11. The reason this machine was built was because the government wanted a machine that would basically watch people and uh, let... And uh, uh, alert to any threats. You know, this guy might be making a bomb. Go visit him. But he said, in the meantime, there's other people who are most definitely in harm's way. But because they're, it's not a big deal, the government doesn't care. They're looking for, you know, mm-hmm. a terrorist, whatever. So Finch was like, well, I want to do something about that. So he built in this back door that would generate a social security number or a number and that nobody else would notice. And he could take that number, find out who this person was, and help them or stop them or whatever. Because sometimes they need help. Sometimes they're a bad guy. They need stopping. In one case, this was... I think I talked to you about this. This one episode, it was a husband and wife who were trying to kill each other for insurance purposes. And they had to stop the two of them from killing each other. So in a way, it's not dissimilar to the Pina Colada song. (laughs) (laughs) 
That episode, yes. But my point is, it's it's um, because of 9-11, and, you know, and then they all lost people in 9-11, too. That's the other thing. The first episode, Jim Caviezel's watching 9-11 on his TV. And remember, back when this show first started, that was still fresh. And as I was watching this episode, I thought to myself, that's weird. I mean, granted, 9-11 was well over 10 years ago, and there's a good portion of this country now, you know, my daughter's graduating high school. She doesn't remember 9-11. Mm-hmm. She was very, she was a, a kid when it happened. Her sister was just a baby. So we're in this new generation of people where, you know, it didn't affect, it's like our parents, we grew up not being affected by the Vietnam War, whereas our parents watched that shit on TV. It was horrifying. And I think 9-11 is the same way. And, you know, after 9-11, of course, every fucking show had something to say about it. This show based its entire premise on it. And they still refer to that. You know, when they do flashbacks, they still refer to like, oh, lost people in 9-11. This city was really hurt. You know, it fucked up one of the greatest cities in the world. And that's one thing I loved about the show was not being a New Yorker. It was nice to see. Well, first of all, it reminded me of Law and Order, the good old days of watching Law and Order, you know, and having them walk around in the streets of New York for right. real. Right. And because there's pay phones on this, sh- on this show all the time still. Uh, and that was a, a problem I had with it. I was like, are there still pay phones? But apparently there are still pay phones in New York City. Yeah. Uh, not booths, but little things. But the, the machine calls them all the time and says shit over the phone uh, in secret messages. So it's got that, you know, still that connection to old school New York and to 9-11 and what the, you know, what the city was about. They don't ever talk about Trump or any of the other horse <laughs> shit that happens in that city. They've never s- talked about the mayor. You know, this the show has been gone through three or four mayors. Yeah, that's you know? the, this is only the fifth season. Do they take a lot of time off or something? It feels like the show's been around. They just don't. Time. They just don't do a lot of episodes a year. It's like whatever okay. thirteen, and then yeah. And I think this one's only going to be six. Yeah, it feels like the show's been on longer. than yeah. four years. It does. Well, I mean, this is the show that Michael Emerson went to right after Lost. So yeah, okay, show's been on since Lost went off the air. That's six years ago. Yeah, so there you go. Um, but obviously they're just going to wrap things up now with this series, and it's going to be... Uh, but they... I, it, it's funny, because usually when you got a series like this, it's either they reset everything, and then and then wrap it all up, you know? Uh-huh. They say, okay, everything started over, we're clean, here's all the things we didn't get to do in the first part. But with this one, like you said, it took 45 minutes for them to put out all the fires... And get their shit together so they could start anew. And they're not even really starting anew. The main thing was, is the machine still, you know, still active? Which, of course, we all knew it was going to be. That, you know, that would have been a horrible thing, right? It's like, no, the machine's dead. I guess we're fucked. <laughs> um, but it's funny it's to me. five episodes of them packing up the... <laughs> That's their Every episode is them <laughs> pa- packing up out of the subway and getting new identities. But it's funny to me, as you watching this show, I mean, you're watching a show that uh, o- only three of those characters were on in the first season. You know, Amy Acker came on and yeah. Shaw, Sarah Sh- Shahi, her character came on much later. And again, she was a, a bad guy who... They brought Wait, in the fold. She? she came in at the very, very end and saved people. Did she was she in this episode? Well, they mention her. I know. Okay. They talk about Shaw. She's she's basically the female Jim Caviezel. Okay. Because she used to be on a team that was just like them, just like Finch and uh, 
and Jim Caviezel, but she worked for the government, and the government was telling her and her friend, oh, you got to take out all these bad guys. But, of course, they were lying. So she eventually goes to work for them. And even the dog. There's one case where they have to take down these these Nazis, and Caviezel takes their dog away. It's a German shepherd. He speaks German, and so he trains it to... To not hate people. And it's awesome. And now the dog's a part of the team now. Does the dog ever get to go outside? Uh, oh, yeah. They walk him around all the time. Okay, good. It less so. Well, because now this is... You see they're in their secret hideout. Right. Before, they were just in, like, Finch's okay. house. Finch is, like, super, super rich. Because oh, okay. he's a super genius. But he also has no identity. He, he only has the identities he's made up for himself. He's one of those guys. Okay. So, yeah. He was super rich. But then... Everything came crashing down last season, so they're done. They're hiding out in the subway behind a fucking vending machine. That yeah. seemed a little corny to me. That they wanted to go into their secret hideout, but they couldn't because the guy was getting a candy yeah. bar. And then he knocks him out, and he's like, what, sugar's bad for you? And it's like, I'm pretty sure brain damage is bad for you, too. Yes, that was... Sometimes they do that, because first of all, Jim Caviezel's not funny. I think we can agree. The guy can't <laughs> deliver a, a laugh line. And that's one of the reasons I didn't watch the show in the first place. Because he's such a fucking stiff. But, on the other hand, Michael Emerson is brilliant. He can deliver a line as good as anybody. So he's super funny. And then everyone else, Amy Acker is great. And Taraji P. Henson was fucking killing it when she was on the show. But every once in a while there will be a scene where they have a little back and forth. And you're like, really? Dude, you're (laughs) handsome. You're a badass. Why why you gotta do that? Why you gotta try to be charming and funny? Because he's not, right? Right. I mean, James Bond is charming and funny and a badass, but Jim Caviezel's like Frankenstein, right? <laughs> you don't want him to be that guy. Uh, this is, I'll say this about Percival. I was just talking to my mom today. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers listening, by the way. Uh, I just talked to my mom for 20 minutes, whereas David had a horrible Mother's Day. <laughs> oh, no, I talked to my mom for... Yes. You and your mom had a great Mother's Day. We you talked and, on the phone. She doesn't live here. Right. Yeah, I just like a, me and my mom. You yes, and, I had a Mother's Day brunch. You and my, your mother-in-law. But this wasn't her fault. No, this I'm was, just... No, we you're right. A, we went to a restaurant that was clearly... Just dropped the ball on Mother's Day. It is a place you've been before, right? This is one of our standard... Yeah. Like, so it was, uh, brunch places with my, with my in-laws. So it's like they had a new... Receptionist something or something. Like they overbooked on Mother's Day or whatever, and we ended up waiting forever for yeah. halfway. I'm sure there was, yeah, There's that's that has to happen in half the restaurants in America though, right. on Mother's Day and Easter and any other holiday. But uh, but happy Mother's Day. So I was talking to my mom. She said, oh, well, I just got Netflix. She she got rid of cable and instead got Netflix. Uh-huh. And she, she's like, oh, I've been binging these shows. I just watched Jericho. And I was like, oh, yeah, Jericho, that was a good show. And it finishes, so you'll like the ending. Yeah. But Person of Interest is, is one gonna, just like but that. When it, when she gets to the end, is she going to send some peanuts to, uh, to Netflix? To <laughs> no, that happens before the ending. That's why they finished it. <laughs> Nuts. I wonder if she'll, she probably doesn't even get that. Because there's that, that's the, did you, you remember that? I never watched that, the show. I just Nuts. That. Yeah, that's why they did that. Because it's a long, it's apparently a historical story about war, but then... Skeet Ulrich says it. Just goes nuts really loud. That's why they send him nuts. Also, peanuts are cheap. Uh, they're very <laughs> cheap to send through the mail. In fact, I heard at the time, the company that everybody was using was not happy because they were losing money really? mailing out all these peanuts. Because they'll mail out peanuts and lose money on it, but then the markup on almonds and macadamia is huge, so they don't mind. But in this case, people were just sending peanuts, and the company said, yeah, we're kind of... 
operating at a debit this month because of all the peanuts. <laughs> um, but this is a perfect show like that. If, you know, there's not enough shows on TV for you, if you're that person who says, boy, there's nothing good on, go watch all the seasons of Person of Interest on Netflix because it's fucking exciting and you can't wait to see what happens next. And, it's, and then every once in a while there's a standalone episode that is really good. And, and then they have a million great guest stars like shows like this have, you know. And you know Paige Turco, you know the actress? I know the name, I can't. She's on every once in a while. Okay. She's like a fixer in New York. Okay. People pay her a lot of money, but every once in a while they have to work with her. And it's clear that her and Jim Caviezel have a thing together. And every once in a while they're like, hey, let's go have sex. And it's just a, it's a cool show like that. Um, I, I wish it was more popular, but and all, and it's a J.J. Abrams thing, so it's very J.J. Abrams. But it's funny that we're Is talking. It? Isn't it J.J. Abrams? I don't know. I know it's Jonathan Nolan. Yeah, it's. I think he just produces it. It's a okay. Bad Robot show for sure. Wait, yeah, Bad Robot. That's J. that's J.J. Abrams. Abrams yeah. yeah, it's a Bad Robot show. All right. Um, but I'm interested if anyone else watched it and has never watched this show before. But it reminds me of you know like Fringe and these shows that have a a loyal following just not big you know and and the people luckily people at who are running networks these days know enough to go well even though we're not going to make any money let's give these people a nice ending to their show and then we put the whole fucking thing out on dvd Mm -hmm. and we'll keep on making money and i mean because you know that when it's the whatever 10th anniversary of fringe they're going to sell the shit out of that anniversary edition, right? Yeah. They're going to put it all in some cool-ass fucking box. It's yeah. going to have all sorts of new fucking footage, interviews with the stars 10 years later. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, right? Yeah. You want to buy that, I don't you? I already want to buy it. Yeah. I just described the fucking <laughs> Christmas present you're going to get. I'm saying it's great that TV executives finally know what they're doing. It's almost like, I don't know, the network executives have finally caught up. To listening to what people want instead of, you know, the fucking Nielsen's. They're actually going to Comic-Con and listening to fans and fucking reading Twitter and what people say about it. And, like, the person... I didn't even know a person of interest was coming back until I saw a tweet about it. Hmm. So, you know, I just saw an ad for uh, Comedy Bang Bang coming back. Weird Al's the new band leader. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great, right? That sounds awesome. That's like, uh, what would you guys like to see that would make this show better? Someone went, put Weird Al on it. Boom, done. <laughs> I think it's awesome. And it's great that, you know, we were just talking about Maria's show, The Lady Dynamite. That's a perfect example. I remember, I've known Maria, geez, over 20 years. Mm-hmm. We used to work together back in the day and write jokes. And, uh, you know, I knew her when she was a receptionist at Nickelodeon and she was just telling jokes. And I remember early on in her career, she had a sitcom deal, the untitled Maria Bamford project. And I remember thinking, well, that's going to either be terrible or not happen because Maria is in no way ready to have her own sitcom. You know, she's like 30 years old and she's a weirdo, but she doesn't really have the, she's, she doesn't know what she's doing. She can't make a sitcom. And it didn't, it never, obviously it never happened. Now, 20 years later, she's a grown up. She's had this interesting life. That's the fucking sitcom you want to see. And she's teaming up with other funny people yeah. uh, who are going to be on it. Who plays her agent? Someone really funny. Is it Catherine Hahn? Someone oh, like that? That'd be good. I like yeah. her. So this is the show to make, you know? And it's like, obviously, someone went, yeah, let's do that show. And then she can, she doesn't have to go to a network and bend all their fucking rules. Netflix says, we've had great look, 
great luck letting people do what they want. Mm -hmm. You know? So, do what you want. And uh, Did you watch the trailer for any No, of not yet. Oh, it's fucking great. It looks hilarious. Um, Alright, you want to move on? Let's move on to trivia. Okay. You excited? Because you have a good question? I think I have a decent one. I don't, I don't think you're going to get it. Alright, well, the last week... The question was about Kamal Bell's old show, Totally Biased. I want to know which guitar rock band uh, was on the show. Oh, boy. I have no uh, problems with what you just said. It all makes sense. <laughs> um, the band, nobody got it. The band was Unlocking the Truth is the name of the band. Yeah, nobody was, knows who they are unless you read like metal blogs like I do, but, I think. But they're a unique, they're three at the time. They were like 12 years old. Yeah. And there's only three of them and they're black. You don't get a lot of black metal bands. Well, there's a lot of black metal bands. But not black metal right, bands. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had another one. You know that band Death. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Yeah, yeah. They were on that show, too. And they talked about how, you know, the, the only reason those guys aren't famous is because their band is called Death. <laughs> like they even said, people got past the black thing and the, they love our music, but they can't put that on the fucking billboard. Death. <laughs> Um, but Unlocking the Truth is the name of the band, and uh, they're cool. I don't like the music, but they're cool kids. I love seeing them on my show. Nobody got it right. A lot of guesses, but nobody got it right. But I did make a mistake. The, uh -oh. pre the previous week, I forgot. I gave credit to Niall O'Brien, and I was wrong. He did get it right, but he wasn't first. Oh, no. The first guy who got it was Michael Fisher, and it's because he sent me the answer via Twitter. Not He didn't send me an email. He just Twittered me. Okay. So he got it right first, and I forgot. Uh, but Michael Fisher, and also he lives in Australia or something like that. So okay. I would never send him a prize. But uh, <laughs> but I reached out and said, sorry. And he said, oh, that's cool. But there you go, Michael Fisher. There's your official uh, um, recognition. Niall O'Brien has gotten it right many, many times. But look at this. A dude in Ireland and a dude in Australia. Yep. Both listen to this show. How fucking crazy it's is that? Worldwide. Right? All right. What's the question this week? Okay. The question this week is about Michael Emerson. And his wife, Carrie Preston, who were both in this episode and have been on... I had no idea they were married. Honestly, I did not no, know. Because I love Carrie Preston. Okay. I've loved her ever since True Blood. I think she's one of the best things about The Good Wife, which, by the way, finale's on tonight. You yeah. know that, right? I'm seasons behind on that show. I was almost going to make you watch it. I'm kind of glad you didn't. If I Because <laughs> you would have had, had to catch up for like two, three seasons. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do that in a week. There's no way. I have a what? job. Yeah, so <laughs> what would you have done? So you would have been, been forced to watch it. You would have been forced to watch the finale out of order and, yeah. went and go, oh, man, everything's been spoiled for me. Yeah, that's why I didn't. I, yeah. That's why I didn't. Oh, but yeah, man. I love her on that. I loved her when she showed up on Person of Interest. Great. Okay. I, I'm a big fan, but I had no idea they were... Uh, no wonder they have such great chemistry. Okay, so yeah, they're married in real life. They're, they've done multiple episodes of uh, Person of Interest together. They mm -hmm. were also... There was one episode of Lost. They were both in, even though they didn't have a scene together. She actually played his mother, Ben's mother, mm. in a flashback. Right, when he gave them... Oh yeah, okay, I yeah. remember. And there's one other show that they'd done. They were both in one episode of this show. It was a. This is why you're not going to get it. It was a very short-lived show on Fox, I think, a drama that aired seven episodes starting in late 2005. Wow! I can even tell you the premise of the episode was that Michael Emerson, Michael Emerson played a guy who was killing him, who was a murderer, who was killing people that he maybe sort of like the computer on Person of Interest that he decided. This person's going to kill someone, or this person's going to rape someone, this person's going to molest someone, and would step in. And so he was like a dexterish vigilante. It, yeah, but he was the bad guy of the episode, and then Carrie Preston played 
the wife of one of the guys he was trying to kill. Uh, so it's so like an episodic crime. Yeah, and it only the show only lasted seven episodes on Fox in 2005. All right, I actually do have a guess. I'm sure it's wrong, but uh, oh, now I can't remember the name of the show. Was it that lawyer show with Victor Garber? No. Okay. Um, I wonder if I can give you any more. The lawyer show with Victor Garber. I can't remember what it was called, but it was, oh, yeah. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No. Oh, but, okay. Um, it was short-lived. You can give me another hint? I can tell you... You mentioned Angel before. Uh-huh. One of the people who wrote for Angel was... Uh, it's a name that you would know who worked on Angel and Firefly. Mm-hmm. Created the show. After Firefly. Um, Wonderfalls. Nope. All right. That's all the... All right. There's all the hints. So don't, so don't send... If you send your guests... Don't guess Wonder Falls or that lawyer show. Oh, yeah. That was actually a good show. I hear it was because seeing is who it came from. And it's a great cast, too. Yeah. Yeah. I watched every episode of that show till it got canceled. Zero people watched it. Um, but it was a great idea. Um, so, yeah. Episodic crime show. That's exactly what it was. So, if yeah. you know the answer to that, write to Paul at thekingoftv.com or, you know, at Paul Goble Show on the Twitter. Contact me anyway, Facebook. Um, be my friend on Facebook. You write to me and tell me what the answer is. And I got some new prizes. Free Comic Book Day was yesterday. I got a bunch of free comics. They're all dumb, but um, they, they were free. Well, you got that Archie number one, which is good. <laughs> well, here's what, here's what I got from Free Comic Book Day. And I guarantee you somebody who doesn't live in a comic-heavy town will want something. So there's this Archie number one which, with new drawing. He doesn't look like the old Archie anymore. Uh, Howard Lovecraft and the Frozen Kingdom. This has a Cthulhu on the front, so it looks like it's Lovecraft Little Kid. Uh-huh. Doctor Who comic book. I'm okay. sure a Doctor Who fan will like this. Four Doctors, four stunning new stories. A Serenity comic book That's that also fun. features Hellboy and Aliens. Why not? Right? And then the DC Superhero Girls thing, which is That's actually... Cool. Uh, is based on toys they sell at Target, but oh. it's you know reaching out to girls, so that's important. It's like they're in high school, and I was flipping through it. There's a section where they go to an assembly, and Principal Waller, Amanda Waller, is talking to them all, uh-huh. and Vice Principal Grodd, Gorilla Grodd, <laughs> says to them all, "Listen up, you little freaks! Principal Waller's got something to say." And I'm like, "Hey, that's right out of The Simpsons. That's a ripoff <laughs> of The Simpsons, but..." That was funny. There's another one called Oddly Normal. This looks like an original. Grumpy Cat, the comic book. Okay. I know someone's going to want that. SpongeBob Freestyle Funnies. So There you go. I got all those. If you want, I'll send them all to you. You let me know. And then I got some other crap, too. Come Free Comic Book Day was fun, though. Uh, I had a good time. Asian Kyle showed up. We hung out. Um, and uh, so you can write to me and all that stuff, like I said. And David, too. Yeah, I'm at uh, battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find my reviews and links to uh, my other podcasts and all those sorts of stuff. You can email me at david at battleshippretension.com. And you uh, can and should follow me on Twitter at DaveyPretension. You can and should. And, of course, the Batman commentaries are still available. Yeah, definitely. For all those Batman movies, and they're good. Um, Someone was saying to me, did you ever see the Neighbors movie? With uh, Seth Rogen and yeah. Zac Efron. And Neighbors 2 is coming out. Right. So is, do you think there's a scene in that? Like when they talk about Batman and Seth Rogen goes, Christian Bale. Michael Keaton's my Batman. And they're like, no, Christian Bale. Do you think the girls in this movie are Ben Affleck Batman fans? <laughs> they make that joke and continue and the girls go, who, Ben Affleck? And then 
Zac Efron and Seth Rogen look at each other and they're super pissed. <laughs> right? I don't think that will happen. But that's a perfect scene because every fan who saw Batman versus Superman and was pissed uh-huh. will go, "Yeah!" When she goes, when the girls go, "What? We like Ben Affleck." And everyone's going to laugh, and the two guys are going to look at each other, and the unspoken thing will be, fuck anyone who likes Ben Affleck. <laughs> and everyone in the theater will be like, yay! I don't know why you didn't write this movie. Fuck, i got to write everything. I'm going to produce the fringe box set. There's going to be a sell a million copies. I'm going to write Neighbors 2, the unedited version. All the hilarious scenes they should have put in. And I wrote this hilarious new uh, animated sitcom called Archer. It's a great show. Okay, that's a good transition. Because <laughs> let me tell you what. That's actually a bad uh, transition. But the way you said it works because, you know what? Archer is a great show. It is. And it, I mean, it's what I mean by that specifically is that it's back to being a great show. Oh, okay. Because I didn't like the Vice season. Okay. I thought last season was an improvement, but still uneven. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this season, I don't know what it is. But they really feel like there's a the the they're all all engines are firing yeah. all engines on all cylinders uh, right now, and I'm I'm yeah. really into it both from uh, a comedy standpoint. It still is funny and feels funny like as Archer. fuck. I'm gonna say but, it's funny as fuck. Yes, but also from a an action caper suspense thriller. <laughs> like that's one thing I always liked about the show is that it had real spy type plots. Yeah. And it had action that was exciting and also inventive. Like, uh, I mean, when, whenever I pick a show like this that we're just dropping in on the season, yeah. it's kind of my way of saying let's talk about the whole season up to this point. Right, okay. So the bit a few weeks ago, or this was like in like the second episode actually, I think, of this season, when um, <laughs> Mallory is convinced it's an elaborate voicemail thing, but it's really just audio of Archer like... <laughs> Killing like seven guys and it's real, like it's really happening there. Uh-huh. Like that's an exciting mm. and novel way to do an action sequence. Where right. You just have the you can sort of imagine what's going on on the other end of the phone in this gravel parking lot where he's naked and killing people with shovels uh, just from the the audio. And that that yeah. kind of exciting stuff is is what I what I missed from Archer I think the last couple seasons. And it, it's funny because I watched those scenes and like the greatest thing about Archer is um you know he's a fuck up but obviously he's good at what he does. Uh, in the and that's I mean that's a trope, you know. Like uh, I don't want to say James Bond because he's actually good at, at everything. But like Like a Jim Caviezel. <laughs> well, no, like uh, like a, a flawed character, like House. House is a good example. Okay. He's a brilliant diagnostician, the best in the world, apparently. But he's a complete fucking useless at everything else, mainly because he doesn't want to do things. Archer's the same way. He does his own thing. He fucks shit up. But for some reason, he's really good at fighting and <laughs> spying. And the first episode, uh, what the fuck happened in the first episode this this season? It was something. Well, it was, the first one was kind of like a two parter where. They were hired by who they thought was this famous actress to right, go right. get the disc. And then it turned out, I think the cliffhanger in the oh. first episode was like, that wasn't the actress you guys got. This played. is what I was talking about. Okay. It was It's the school. When they're trying to get their kid into the school. Oh, and then yeah, he meets yeah. his buddies, the Fletch thing. Yeah. And he's really, like, he's he's all intimidated by these guys. Because yeah. they tortured him and bullied him when he Voiced was a by kid. by John Daly and John Glazer. Right? And that's all funny and all, but that's the first time you really see Archer doubt himself. Yeah. And 
And it's because, A, he's not drunk. That's the first thing. <laughs> but also, B, it, it's funny because it's like all of a sudden somebody wrote some really amazing character development. Like, we find out... We've heard things about Archer's childhood, how he was raised by uh, the butler, who I guess is dead now because George Coe died. I guess so, yeah. Um, uh, Woodhouse? Yeah, he was raised by Woodhouse pretty much. He doesn't really know who his father is, all that shit. And that's why he's such an asshole. He was raised by assholes to be an asshole. But we've never heard like specific stories like this and character building shit. And it all made sense. And then it made sense that as soon as he saw those guys, he was a quivering, yeah. whimpering little fuck. And then he said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Had a few shots and was a badass. Yeah. And well, that was so funny when he went to meet him and the secretary opens the door and he's in the waiting room finishing off a bottle of booze and he goes, An entire Boop. bottle. Sorry, I had to take that. <laughs> yes. And then, and then on top of everything else, there's jokes. And it makes me think, like, I watch it and go, is this unbelievable? And then it's like, well, it's no more unbelievable than James Bond mm-hmm. who gets out of these scrapes and straightens his cufflinks and walks away. So... It's not like they're taking advantage because it's a cartoon and they can get away with shit. Because it's no more ridiculous than what you'd see in an action movie. Yeah. Right? And that's believable. And then the fact that he's a complete fuck-up, but he's good at this one one or two things at his job, that's a premise for everything these days. Yeah. And then I, I feel like they, they, the show intentionally sort of reintroduced that reminder in that first two-parter. After he's killed those guys in the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, or I guess we later find out he only killed a few of them. <laughs> and mostly knocked out the rest. But when he like, comes in naked to rescue Lana and Pat Oswalt's character, and he's like, uh, and she's like, did you kill those guys? And Pat Oswalt's like, Jesus. And then he's like, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I got stabbed a couple times. And Pat Oswalt's like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, it's like a reminder. Like, oh, like you're saying. Like, yeah. oh yeah, Archer's really, really good at this. Stuff. And then in this episode... When oh, maybe it was the first part of this episode. Yeah, it was a two-part. When the clown comes in and he says, "I want to apologize for what you're about to see," and he knocks him out. She's like, "That wasn't so bad." No, this part. He fucking breaks the guy's <laughs> neck. Yeah, and that was so amazing. And then he dresses up like him. And my first thought was, "Wow." That's exactly what he should have done. Uh-huh. He should have waited for the guy to come in and then dress up like him. So he's great. Again, he's great at what he does. And he says to this lady, I'm going to kill this dude. It's going to be bad, but I have to. I can't tie him up and risk him getting away later. He's not yeah. going to come to my side. I have to kill him. He's a horrible person. I'm going to kill him. And then later on, they all dress up like him. Hilarious. <laughs> and and at that point, it doesn't matter that one of these clowns is now fat with giant boobs. Because <laughs> it's fucking hysterical at this point. And it's all believable. And then, and then on top of all that, it's not James Bond to where everything works out great. Things often don't work out great. Case in point, this episode where they all got pelted with fucking bean bags. <laughs> oh, I was laughing so hard. Brilliant! Because my first thought was, well, are they going to die? No, that doesn't make any sense. But then they make it very clear: these are bean bags. Yeah. And so as soon as you go, oh, they're bean bags, it fucking goes on forever. Slow motion, getting hit in the face and in the ass and well, in the stomach. Not those character gets hit in, in the, the balls. balls, and then it's just Cheryl laughing until she gets hit. Twice in the face because she thinks it's bags. hysterical because yeah. she's nuts. <laughs> and then they show, and then the next scene in the denouement, they're all beat up, they're bruised uh-huh. and bandaged. It wasn't. I mean, I, I have you ever seen a guy get shot with a fucking beanbag? Uh, no, I don't think it I looks wanna... like it hurts, yeah, man. It looks it's not something to fuck around with. Wouldn't want to see that. So that's all great. And then the things that should be good, like 
he seems to like he's actually a good father in the episodes where they're they're talking about the kid. That's funny. And I love how even though and this is from the very beginning of Archer, from the very beginning, it's clear that the girl like Lana and Archer's mom hate the shit that he does. They're constantly mad at him. Mm-hmm. And yet they're obsessed with him, right? Mallory is obsessed with her little boy and Lana as much, every time she says I hate you Archer what she's saying is I love you uh-huh. she had a fucking kid with him and now that they're together they're all like a real family it's even better because they get together and go hi everybody we all hate each other right shut up mother Lana you're dumb shut up but then they work together as this amazing team not just as secret agents but also just as you know grandmother and mother and father Yeah, it's fucking amazing and then on top of all that the voice acting is brilliant yeah, I love the, the guest, guest actors. Stars. I've mentioned Pat and Oswald a bunch. Of, uh, I like what they're doing with this season, having uh, the opening that's the end with Archer apparently Sunset Boulevard style apparently dead mm. in the pool, right? And J.K. Simmons and uh, Keegan, Keegan. Michael Key um, cracking jokes, and then they've since shown up, right? Uh, we still don't know what now. I got the impression they were L.A. detectives, but from this episode, I got the impression they they might not be. Yeah, yeah They're just was... dudes who show up places and take over. Because eventually that guy who actually was in charge said, who's in charge here? And they realized, oh, we got to bail. Yeah. You are. Bye. Because Keegan is clearly a fucking idiot. His character is so dumb. Oh, yeah. When they tried to send the pizzas with the sleeping pills on them and the, guys, yes. and the clowns were like, no, you know you're going to put pizzas on them. But how about knockout gas? I know. Keegan goes... What about calzones? <laughs> and Jake is like, I don't think it was the shape of the food that they have. <laughs> it's fucking great. So there's so many funny jokes. Just you know, funny laugh out loud. My favorite line in the whole thing had to be the ending when. Uh, well, first of all, Archer comes in and says, "Okay, I, I got, I did what you did, but it cost way more money. Obviously, you need to pay us." And Pat Oswalt very reasonably goes, "There's no fucking way I'm going to pay uh-huh. you." And then Archer smartly says, well, that's why I did this, because I'm actually great at my job, and I know this is what you did, and you wanted it stolen for the insurance, Uh and even though I'm drunk and on crutches, I still have the upper hand, because I'm the greatest secret agent. And Pat Oswalt has to go, you're right. However, when you ask that thing about dating her... And he laughs for, like, whatever, a minute straight. And then Archer goes, you know, there's a nice way to do that. (laughs) Oh, God. I couldn't stop laughing. It was the greatest. Because even though he totally faced him and got all this money out, still, hey, that hurt my feelings. (laughs) So fucking funny. And I want to say this. Uh, Speaking of Archer, I did a show a couple weeks ago with Jim Coughlin. And there was a dude on it. uh, Shit, I can't remember his name now. But he did a Bob impression, a John Benjamin impression. Uh-huh. sounded almost exactly like him. He was really good. And I just found out he's going to be on this impressions show with Dana Carvey on USA that premieres this week. <laughs> and this other girl, Lauren O'Brien, who's very funny, is also going to be on it. But watch it, because he might do that John Benjamin impression. He's fucking dynamite. Sounds just like him. So it's weird. It, it's weird that the show is this good now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's been on for so long, and it, it's gotten really, really good. Oh, let's talk about this. Now, we mentioned this last week about the Fletch thing. You did, yeah. yeah. I, I hadn't watched it at that point. And so, and I said, how does he not know about Fletch? And, and uh, someone wrote and said their theory was that that was more like an homage to Fletch, just right. like the first part of this was kind of an homage to Batman Begins, 
with the clowns sure. and the, the, the ballroom. Or, as I mentioned, the opening of the season at Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard, exactly. Yeah. Whereas that clearly was an homage to Sunset Boulevard. So, obviously, if you're doing an homage or a reference, you can't say, hey, we're referencing Sunset Boulevard right, right. or we're referencing Flinch. So, that, so that makes a lot of sense. But I like how even that, like in the older episodes or a lesser cartoon, would just make it a very direct parody mm-hmm. or reference. And even then, like on Family Guy, find it funny to go, so what is this, some kind of Sunset Boulevard thing? <laughs> and you're like, yes, we get it. Just because you're killing the joke, it doesn't make the joke funnier. Right. But here, like in the, the I hate it in the Empire pilot, going back almost two years now. Yeah, the, right. When he says the premise of the show, and we're, what is this, King Lear? Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's that's, that's King what we're doing. Lear. It's exactly <laughs> what it is, dummy. So yeah, so they're not doing that. They're not doing that kind of lazy writing. They're alluding to it. If you didn't see Fletch, great. You you don't bother. It doesn't bother you, and you don't get the reference. If you do, you go ah, Fletch. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, in, in this, and I thought. Also, doing two parters is really bold. Clearly, they you know they wrote this episode and said, "Ah, oh, let's you know let's put a bunch of shit in here." I feel like they've increasingly um, been treating seasons as a season with a whole story. Yeah, yeah. They can, they can do these two parters because they have these ongoing uh, storylines. With Vice, it seemed to sort of start loose and then sort of come together by the end. But here, I like that that it's. That it jumps in, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, there's a whole story going on this season, and this character of, what I keep forgetting this fake actress's name, Veronica Dean, is that what so, it is? Yeah, I like think that? that's it. Keeps showing up, and Pat Oswalt is her lawyer, and the, and the two cops who might not be cops. Um, yeah. I, I, I like that approach. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really funny. It's really well written. It's well done. There's oh, clearly okay. an arc of some sort that is going to hopefully pay off really big yeah. at the end of the season. Um Speaking of being well written, there's something, something I always loved about Archer is its ability to use common sort of uh, parts of speech or, or phrases mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily jokes and making them jokes. Like it, like for a while it was always, you know, what someone like say. Yeah. Uh, and now I feel like the thing is, well, you say that. Like they keep doing that this uh, season. Uh-huh. Uh, I, one of my favorites that they've done a lot is... First, shut up. <laughs> right. <laughs> but now other characters say that now. Yeah. Lana and Mallory said it. She was yelling at Lana and she goes, Well, first of all, shut up. That <laughs> makes me laugh every time. And there's a, oh, and now it seems only one, uh, only uh, one of them, I don't know if it's Cheryl, uh, but one of them says phrasing now, no one else does. You know what I mean? Well, no, it was uh, Archer. Started using phrasing again. He was like, yeah, it's back. Deal with oh, it. Oh, okay. But then <laughs> um, Pam's new thing That's right. is if someone Pam. says someone is coming, she says, on my tits. <laughs> um, and then Archer's like, no, we're doing phrasing again. And she's like, maybe you or whatever. <laughs> funny. It's all funny stuff. Good characters. Uh, and I like the guests, too. These guys who were playing the clowns were all good. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're super famous, but also if you notice the drawings are so detailed. That started last season where they got, um, their budget went up. So you start to see, like, yeah, the episode a few weeks ago when he stumbles drunk out of the tiki bar and then gets picked up by the cab that ends up being Barry. Right. That whole cab sequence of him getting kicked out of the car and rolling across the 
the the street like yeah. it looked great uh, yeah. and that's something that yeah that started last season in this one it wasn't not only did they all have different clown masks on that were very ornate but then when they took them off they all looked very different they're clearly based on real people i mean like even the when they draw them all all these people that they've drawn are based on real people i read this article on yeah. somewhere you know and it showed who their drawings are based on but it's clear even these these clowns these four or five characters were based on real people even though we only see their faces for what six seconds yeah when they when they come out they just came out and went oh yeah they kidnapped us yeah that was it and they were gone but i was like oh that's got to be a real person which i know you mentioned the batman begins reference but the idea of a clown changing into regular clothes and sneaking out quick change quick change reference that's right bill murray that's a great movie how come no one ever saw that i don't know it was it's a weird movie yeah it's a, it's dark. That's what I would call uh, a dark comedy. Yeah. Because it's still funny and nobody gets killed or or hurt. But it's the part where they're 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 trying to get. Well, first of all, they're just trying to get the airport, which I think is hilarious. But then they see those two guys on bikes do that jousting, jousting yeah. thing, and Randy Quaid's like, "That's something no one should ever have to see." <laughs> That's a bad omen. So, and my favorite line is when. He says, you know, you could have, Bill Murray says, you could have given us directions, but you gave us so much more. (laughs) (laughs) That fucking movie's good. Gina Davis. You know, Bill Murray directed that. Yes. Co-directed. Co-directed. That's the only thing he's ever directed, I think. Sounds right Major movie. All right. So, uh, two good shows. That was good. Next week, uh, I want to watch The Big Bang Theory because, well, many reasons, but mainly because... Judge Reinhold, not Judge Reinhold, Judd Hirsch is on <laughs> playing Leonard's father. And Christine Baranski, who was on just this past week as his mother, will be on again as his mother. And I like when actors like that. But do you think that's comparable? Is that the is that another example of Hollywood casting a million-year-old man who's married to a woman like half his age? I mean, Christine Baranski is not old, but she's got to be at least 10 years younger than Judd Hirsch, right? Yeah, that's a good point. God, I fucking hate that. Because she was she was on his episode last... Is this just last... because you wish you had been cast as Leonard Sitt Leonard's dad? No, I wish I was married to Christine Baranski. She's <laughs> fucking hot, man. So I'm going to watch The Big Bang Theory. And what are you going to watch? Uh, I'm going to watch The Amazing Race, the finale. The uh, finale of the YouTube stars. Yeah, because this... Have you watched Friday's episode yet? Yeah. Man, that was a that was a crazy ending. Yes, it uh, was. It was quite the nail biter. Yeah, the, uh, I, I feel like... Uh, we'll talk about this more next week, but I feel like I've figured out. Sometimes I feel like I figured out the Amazing Race enough that I can like see through it, like based on mm. what am I familiar, based on the interviews, or based on how we were talking, or how they're editing things. Or I can the see best through. is when they try to make it look like it's close. The two that, teams, that's what I'm talking about. But they're all. But then they never show them together, so you're like, this wasn't close. They just right. edited it to look. But then sometimes but here, you see them. Here they tried to make it look like it was close. Yeah, I think it actually was close, I think and so I think too. they also, for people like me, intentionally made it look like one team was closer than the other, mm. so that when the other team like showed up first, it was yeah. a big surprise. Yeah, it was great. And also, uh, this doesn't always happen, but. Uh, when it does, it's nice. The shittier, annoying teams have gone away, well, and <laughs> for the most part. But teams like obviously Tyler and his friend are great, and everybody yeah. loves them and their thing. And Bernie, I like Bernie a lot. I think he's very funny. And they made it all the way to, to last week. And it's not. I mean, are you saying you don't like that girl and her boyfriend, the dancers? Yeah, I, I, 
But you got to have the arguing team if they're a couple. It's not my favorite thing. No, it's not. But when you have a couple... um, Well, last season, the arguing team, the paparazzi, it went... But it, too that, much. That see to me that's it doubled back to it because I normally don't like the argument, <laughs> but it became funny to me. Yeah, that like well, because it was just nonstop and over everything. Yeah, like tying a shoe, the like worst. everything would set them off. And the thing is, it might have been funny if they were just coworkers or friends, uh-huh. but because they were married, it was really sad. That's what it came down to because yeah. every guy watching that went, what a shrew. And every woman went, what an asshole. <laughs> and there was nothing redeeming about either of them. It's horrible. Brooke hated it. Um, all right. So Big Bang Theory for me, The Amazing Race. Um, any other big news going oh, on? Yeah. Uh, one thing I got coming up this week is I'm going to watch this. 